Well, uh, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, as you make your way there, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. Uh, Let me ask you a question real quickly. What comes to your mind when I utter this word? Rest. Rest. For some of you, it's a description of what you're hoping to find this afternoon right after lunch. It will be siesta time, right? You're going to go home, eat fried chicken, lay down on the couch, cover up, and rest, right? For some of you, it's a good description of what's going to happen uh, in a few minutes after I've been preaching for a little bit, right? Uh, You're going to rest. I see you out there with your jello neck head, Bob. All right, I catch you. But uh, uh, for some of you, it's something that we know that we need but something that seems like even a good night's sleep doesn't seem to deliver. Uh, For some of us, you know, we wake up feeling tired, and we're not necessarily bodily tired, but we just feel worn out and ground down and kind of beat up by life. And rest is something that in our culture we frequently don't get enough of. We live in a world of clocks and daytimers and time clocks that we have to punch in at, right? Uh, We have to-do lists, a lot of us. Uh, For many of us parents, our lives consist of work and then after that a seemingly endless uh, parade of activities and events to which to ferry our children, right? And we watch them participate in those things. And there's too little time in a lot of our lives set aside for worship, uh, too little time for reading and just being quiet and being able to think. Uh, There's too little time for play, too little time for working in the garden. Our days are packed full, and many of us walk around tired, longing for rest. And that is why I think that, that Americans spent one and a half trillion, that's with a T, dollars in the last 12 months on vacation. Because we are hoping that we're going to get to the beach, or we're going to go to the mountains and ski, or we're going to go see family somewhere, or we're going to go... You know, we're going to go pack up our, our fifth wheel and drive across the country and go look for America, as Simon and Garfunkel sang, right? We're going to go do that. And that's going to bring us rest, we think, right? Maybe it's just the TV stations I watch, but the commercials that come on are all for the sleep number bed, right? <laughs> right? You can get your ideal night's Rest, if you'll just find your sleep number. I'm a 75, right? You know, <laughs> he's a 63 or she's a 42 or whatever, right? And we think that if we, just, if we just do enough of that, you know, that we work hard for 50 weeks a year so that for two weeks a year we can sit on our, on our duffs and we can uh, enjoy the beach chair and we can just rest, right? And the reality is that What most of us find is that wherever we go to, that we go along on the trip. And so rest doesn't find us there. 
because we're still there, right? And our souls are really what is restless a lot of times. And if you have your Bible, I want you to read about God's rest with me. Uh, the first ten verses here of Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at the first five initially, so follow along here as I read. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Now, before we just plunge in, we want to back up and we want to see the context of these verses. Chapter 4 continues the line of thought that we see in chapter 3. In chapter 3, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is using the ancient nation of Israel, because he's writing, after all, to Jewish Christians, he's... Uh, He says, look, remember our forefathers when they came out in the Exodus. And he's using them as an example of what not to do. And he says, if you remember, uh, the Exodus generation, the generation of adults that, that Moses took out of Egypt through the Exodus, that walked through the water of the Red Sea, that wandered in the desert, that saw God descend onto Mount Sinai, that received the law, that built the tabernacle. None of those people got to enter into the promised land except for two guys, Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else died in the desert on the other side of the water from the, from the promised land. None of them got to go in. And so instead of moving into the land and living in houses and tending their gardens and fields and flocks in peace and in, in, in a land of milk and honey and, and having safety, instead what they got to do was train for war and live in tents for 40 years. Now, I can tell you this. I've been some places where I got to live in a tent for a week. You know, I went up to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness uh, a number of years ago and lived in tents. A bunch of guys were all catching fish and, and letting our beards grow and, uh, you know, portaging canoes all over and picking wild blueberries and living in a tent, right? Um, and that's fun for about 10 days or so. And, you know, Karen and I, when we were first married, we used to go camping on the weekends. So we'd go down to Brown County State Park in Indiana, and we'd, we would, uh, we'd camp out, and we'd, you know, cook stuff over the fire, and it was, it's romantic and all that, right? And it was great. It really was. We tried it with the kids. Not so much fun. <laughs> right? Uh, they hated it. They did. Um, but, um, but imagine if you're living in a tent in the desert 
for 40 years. Now, I'll just say that the time of year I like to go camping is like October, basically. Uh, when, it's, when it's getting in the 40s and 50s at night, but you don't have to you know, be fully dressed in like a, you know Arctic expedition suit to get sleep, right? Uh, but when it's not hot, when you're not having to debate whether you lay in the sleeping bag or on top of it, you know, that's no fun, right? But you're in the desert. It's 120 degrees in the Arabian desert during the day. And it's not a whole lot cooler at night. For 40 years, you wander around until everybody your age and older dies. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to make a point that these people never got to experience the rest that God promised, even though they received a good news from God. Verse 2 tells us why. Good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why not? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they heard God's good word about the promise that they would enjoy. But all, and all they had to do was believe it. All they had to do was believe the word that came back from Caleb and Joshua. The land is a good land, and God is going to give it to us. And yes, there are giants there, but that just means they're too big to miss. All right? We can take the land. God is going to be with us. And instead, they believed the majority of the spies who said, no, I'm sorry, we're, we're like grasshoppers in the land, and it devours those who go into it, and we'll be consumed. Us and our children will all be destroyed. And instead of believing God's word, they believed the lie of the majority of the spies. And so the good news they heard was not united by faith with those who and those who heard it. And it wasn't united with those who listened to God's Word like Caleb and Joshua did. And so they didn't get to enjoy the land. In fact, they wanted to go back into Egypt and live as slaves again, remember? Uh, If you read in Numbers, you can read about how they all decide, you know, we need to choose some leaders and head back to Egypt. Because it would be better than following this Moses fellow around because he's going to get us all killed. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to being slaves. And here's the point being made that ancient Israel got good news about a promised land they could enter if they would simply trust God. And that geographical location would be a place of rest where they could worship God, where they could enjoy His blessings. And a couple of them believed and they got to enter into the land, but the majority rejected the good news. And so God prohibited them from enjoying His promised rest and blessing. And in the same way, the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, look, I'm afraid for some of you. I'm afraid for some of you that you will not unite the word you heard, the good news that you heard about Jesus with faith, and that you therefore will not trust God's promises 
and that you, therefore, will be cut off from the greater promised land that the geographical location of Canaan was just a shadow and a copy of. That you, therefore, won't be able to enter into God's rest. Because the promise... You know, their promise was one of, of the real estate necessary to build a nation. Every nation's got to have a people, and it's got to have a place that it exists with boundaries. And God promised them real estate in this life, and peace and prosperity and safety in this life. But our promise is a much bigger one, isn't it? Our promise is one of forgiveness of sin and a share in eternal life in the presence of God and eternal peace and safety. Remember at the end of the book how it describes the great city? It's got great high walls and big gates. And it says that outside are the dogs. And it doesn't mean Fifi and Fluffy and... Sam and Fido and whoever, okay? It means all of the wicked people are prohibited from entering into the city where God and his people dwell. And, and because of that, those who are in the city live in peace and safety. You know, that's why we have the prison system, right, in our society, right? We take all of the wicked people, as many as we can prove the case against, and put them in a place separate from everybody else so that the rest of us may dwell in peace and safety, right? And God does the same thing. He shuts out from His people all of the wicked so that His people can dwell in eternal peace and safety. And the dividing line between those in the city and those outside it is still the same. Do you trust in God's promises? Because trust in God's promises, not simply hearing them announced, is still required. Amen? It's still required. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. You see, the thing is that that the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, some of you who are in this church that he's writing to have heard the gospel repeatedly. You know what the good news is. You can, when somebody asks you a question, you can spit it back. But it hasn't been united with faith in your own heart. And therefore, like the people of ancient Israel who heard the good news about the promised land, when the day comes, you'll be cut off from it. And he doesn't want that to happen. He's reminding them you've got to actually believe and embrace the message personally in order to be allowed to enter into the land that God has for us. Amen? Uh, And I want you to notice something else. It's God's own rest that we're being invited to enter into. God is not sweating up there in heaven. Okay? He's not, boy, I don't know if I'm going to get this done. I don't know if this is going to all get accomplished. Okay? He has been resting from the beginning of creation, as what the text says. 
and that we are being invited into God's rest. Look at verse. Um, look at the verses here. Uh, verse three and verse five say. You know, verse three says. Oh, verse one. His rest, right? His rest. Who, who's his? God. God's rest. And then verse 3 and verse 5 quote Psalm 95 again. My rest. My rest. And it's God speaking. And then, verse 4, he quotes uh, the account of creation where God rested on the seventh day. And you know, the interesting thing about the Genesis account, as you read chapter 1, this is, this is fascinating as you read it, and this is why the writer of Hebrews cites it this way, is that at the end of every day of creation, you have the account of what happened. You know, it starts out, and God said, and then there was, and then at the end of that, you, hear, you read these words, and there was evening, and there was morning, the blank day, the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, it's all the same pattern. You get to the seventh day, and you get a difference. And God rested from all His work and all the work of creating that He had done. And there's no indication there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. You don't read that. Why not? Because God's rest is has begun then and continues into the present. It didn't end at the end of the seventh day. God's rest is ongoing. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us that we, through faith, get to enter into the rest that God is already enjoying at present. Wouldn't it be great to never be stressed out? about anything and God is not because he is sovereign and he rules over all things and so he is never worried about the outcome of anything because he rules and controls it all and he is at rest and and so when it speaks when God speaks to us about the absolute necessity of entering into rest by faith what we're in, being invited into is we're invited to enjoy and to have a share in the life of God himself that comes from being related to and serving alongside our father It's not that it's not that um, you know that we're not when we think about God's rest it's not that we're to think of you know, God up there sitting in a beach chair having a corona, okay, like he's just not doing anything, because God is active in the world, amen? He is doing things. Jesus said it this way, my father has been working and I'm working too, right? And he does. It's a working rest. And when we enter into God's rest, we continue to work and to serve and to and to worship God and to love each other and to, and to be active. But at the same time, we're at peace, right? We're at rest. Because our eternity is secure. And I don't have to worry about what's all going to happen. Because as, as Judy so beautifully said earlier, it's a win-win, right? 
If we live, we live to honor the Lord. And if we die, we go to the Lord. And it doesn't matter which is, the, which, is which, right? If, if I'm still here when the smoke clears, God has a plan for my life now. And if I'm not, I'm in the presence of God forever and ever. And either way, I don't have to worry. I'm at rest. I'm at rest it's the peace, the, the rest that we're being invited into is the peace in our heart and soul that only comes from knowing God. It's the peace of being finally home. All of our life is designed to, to put us back into relationship with God. That's the way the world is made. That's the reason that God gives us the gospel, that we might come home to Him and be in relationship with Him. Because remember in the garden how Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day? God put them in that garden so they could be in relationship with Him. And we were cast out of the garden because of sin, but Jesus died on the cross to bring us back into relationship with God. That's the purpose for which we exist, that we might be in relationship with God. And so when we find our relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we come home. When you come home for, at the end of the day, this is what I do, okay? I, when I come home at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm in for the day. I'm not having to run kids around anywhere. I, you know, I've got a pair of fleece, uh, sweatpants I put on, take off stuff like this, and I put on a t-shirt, put my feet up on the, on the coffee table, slouch in the couch, and just, <sighs> right? Why? Because I'm home, and I'm at rest. And the feeling is much the same when you come into relationship with Jesus in a real way. You're finally home. You're finally at rest. Amen? Augustine said it this way, that you have made us for yourself, and restless are our hearts until they find their rest in you. And that's true. People chase all kinds of stuff, don't they? Sleep number bed. Better vacation, better job, nicer house, nicer car, different wife, same wife, uh, you know, uh, different husband, uh, you know, younger husband, whatever, okay? We chase all kinds of stuff, thinking that that's going to bring us life, that we're going to finally be at peace if only we get this, right? And in reality... By faith, we enter into God's rest. And that's where we find what we've been seeking all of our lives. Rest. Peace with God. We're finally in harmony with the, with the way that God made the universe when we come into relationship with Him, right? And we come to rest. And so the, the warning here that he cites twice from Psalm 95 is a warning to people who have heard the good news and who have not ever personally received it in their own heart. And it's a warning to them that like the rock song says, 
quoting Isaiah, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Right? There isn't. It isn't out there to find. And he's telling them, look, if you go back to your old life, you will be just like those people who wandered lost in the desert for 40 years until they were all dead. And you will never get to enjoy the blessings that God intends for you. And you must unite the good news that you've heard with faith in your own heart. Amen? You must. Uh, So let's read on here. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, this is a pretty subtle argument. And, and you need to listen closely here because you, you're not going to understand what Hebrews is doing here. Uh, otherwise, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the, the fact that the generation that were children at the time of the Exodus did, in fact, enter the promised land under Joshua. They did. And yet, hundreds of years later, King David wrote in Psalm 95, giving the people of his own generation a warning about not entering God's rest, even though they were living in the land. They were living in the land that God had promised. In fact, under King David, the boundaries of the land encompassed all that God had promised to give them. And yet, under the inspiration of the Spirit, David writes and he warns them that they are in danger of missing out on God's rest. Well, what's that about? What that is about is that this is a promise of entering God's rest that is given not just to the Exodus generation, but to every generation. And it's a warning and an invitation, a two-sided coin, uh, that God has given to all people. How do we know? How do we know? Because God has given a day on which you should accept the invitation to enter his rest. What's the name of the day? Today. <laughs> right? When am I supposed to believe in Jesus? Today. When do I enter into God's rest if I do? Today. Okay? And the idea is, is, that, is that by using the word today, since whenever you wake up, it's always today, that this is a promise that's given not just to Joshua and the people who followed him into the land, and not just to the people of David's day who lived hundreds of years later and who were living in the land, but given to everyone who reads God's word and understands that today is the day to put your trust in Christ. When is the right time to believe God's word and enter his rest? Today. 
The same day that you hear God's word spoken to you, there remains a Sabbath rest available for God's people if they will hear it and embrace it and believe. Amen? And part of what Hebrews is saying is that we don't have unlimited time to do this. We do not know how long we are going to live. Amen? We don't know. I remember getting a call a number of years ago now. Um, I got a call from the hospital down at OSF that Kent Sefton had gone into the hospital. And I, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, I drove down there, got dressed, drove down there, and when I get to the desk, I ask, here is he, Kent, where is he? And they said, excuse me, uh, Reverend, we'll uh, be with you in a minute. I went, uh-oh. And they sent the chaplain to talk to me because Kent had already passed by the time I got there. And I said, and I, and I, 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 I remember saying this. I said, he can't be gone. I just saw him this morning. Well, it wasn't this morning. It was the previous morning. He was just leading us in worship today. That couldn't be. But he was gone. We don't know how long we have. Amen? And so the writer says, today, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. And if you hear his voice, and if you will embrace and believe the good word that you have heard, then you enter into God's own rest. The rest that God himself has possessed since the beginning of the world. Cosmic rest, eternal rest, divine rest. But only if you hear and believe today. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when God's Spirit is moving in your heart. Today is the day when He is telling you to throw aside your old life with its temptations and the temptation to go back to it and to enter into God's rest instead. So here's the question. Are you enjoying God's rest? I know this about myself. I know that sometimes I get really tired. Uh, sometimes I get, you know, falling asleep in my Cheerios exhausted. You know, I was over at small group at Tony and Amy Sanders' house on Thursday night, and we were both, Karen and I, we were like, we look like uh, characters on The Walking Dead, okay? You're just kind of zombied out. Uh, and they're like, uh, we should let you guys go home. And we were like, well, well if you pray, don't pray very long. <laughs> you know, you'll hear this of our face hitting the table. <laughs> you know? But uh, in any case, you know, I know what it is to get tired. But you know what? You know what I'm not? I'm not restless. I'm not running around looking to find fulfillment in some experience or possession or relationship. I'm not, I'm not tired because 
I can't seem to find what I'm looking for out of this life. I work hard, but I'm at rest. Amen? I'm content, and I'm at peace. And you know why? I'll tell you this. It has nothing to do whatsoever with my virtue or my intelligence or my uh, wonderful specialness whatsoever. Because if you have met me, you know there isn't any of that. All right? (laughs) But, But what it does have to do with is God and His grace, which I have received by faith in His Son. Amen? I put my trust in Jesus Christ years ago on a different day that was also named the same thing, today. And back then, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I believe what the Scriptures say about Him is true. Not just as a historical fact. There are a lot of people who believe, you know, that Jesus was a real person who really lived, who really did miracles, who really died on a cross, and who really rose from the dead. There are lots of people who believe that. There are historians who believe that. But they've never entered into God's own rest. There are a lot of people who grow up in the church hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and hearing it and going, yeah, I think that's true. But they've never entered into God's rest. And the reason they have not is because they did not unite, as Hebrews 4 says, the good news they heard with faith. It is we who believe who enjoy God's promises. And the difference is this. The difference is that when you believe, you don't just accept these facts as true. You accept them as true for you. And you give up everything else in your life in order to obtain that. Jesus tells the parable of the pearl of great price, right? That when he finally finds it one of magnificent value, he hocks everything else to obtain it, right? Or of a guy who finds a treasure in a field. You know, he's like, he finds, you know, the, tre- the lost treasure of Captain Kidd hidden on this island, Right? He digs it up and there's gold doubloons coming out everywhere. And you go, ha ha, I found it. What do you do then? You cover it back up, go to the bank, mortgage everything you have in order to get that island, right? And then row back out there and become the Count of Monte Cristo, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, get every, you give everything that you have now to get treasure of unimaginable value. And that's what the gospel is. And believing in Jesus is. Is that I swap everything about me and my life that I think is you know, wonderful and awesome, uh, which is essentially nothing in the, in the sight of God. And I swap all of that for the lasting treasure of entering into God's rest, of being one of His adopted children, of being at peace with God and having my sin forgiven and having my eternal destiny secure. Amen?
And so, as the Scripture says again to us today, 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 if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Amen? Do not harden your heart. Listen. Listen to what the Word of God says. The worst thing I can imagine as a pastor, and I can tell you this, this is something I pray against, the worst thing I can imagine is that people sitting in this church hearing God's Word explained every week or who grow up here with Christian parents hearing God's Word at their table, seeing their parents come to this place and be involved in ministry with these people and sharing the gospel all through the community of Chillicothe, that we would hear all of that and it would produce no faith. That's the worst thing I can imagine be the greatest tragedy of anyone's life that they would hear the gospel and fail to embrace it on the day that God called. Amen. And if God is calling you, I want to invite you to embrace the gospel. Not some point in the future. Not when you're, you've grown old, you know, you've hit 40, and now life is over. Right? Not then, you know, not after you've sown your wild oats and now the crop is coming in and you've got no other choice, right? Um, Not then, but today. If you hear God's voice, put your trust in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us eternal and lasting promises. Promises that will bear fruit and rest for our restless souls. That today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day when we find you. Because today is the day that you are calling to all of us. That if we have never believed, that we would embrace the good news and put our trust in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who on a different day, also called today, have already believed that, Father, I pray that we would continue just to trust in you, not to uh, run around like chickens with our head cut off, stressed and worried about all kinds of things, but to remember that the promise that we receive as we put our trust in Jesus is one of rest knowing that you are sovereign and that you love us and that your affectionate sovereignty rules over our lives. And Father, we, uh, we pray that all of us would trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.